It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 In. 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 everybody, welcome to the Criterion Project. This is a show where you like to talk about something that's on the Criterion channel and uh, all the other fun stuff that we've been watching. And I am film critic Rachel Wagner. Conrado is here. Yes, he is. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing good. I've had an extremely, extremely busy week because I'm going to be, when this posts, I will be at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Mm. Uh, so really excited about that. It's Very be... exciting. Yeah. Also, when this posts, um, the Academy Awards will have happened the night before. So, yes. Rachel, what do you think of all the surprising stuff that happened at the Oscars this year? Isn't it crazy that that's the movie that won Best Picture? Yeah. Congrats to everybody at Everything Everywhere All at Once. Way to go. <laughs> Is that, should we, since we're coming in the future, should we put our, you know, put should our money where our mouth is, do a little bit of a... Of a, what, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be a big night for everything everywhere? It does look I, like it's I shaping do. up I, to be that way, right? I think if you're a betting person, that's where you got to put your money. I mean, they've won almost everything mm-hmm. in the trades except for the BAFTAs. So. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely where the smart money is. I will say this, though. Something very interesting. And I'm okay saying this because this will drop after the Oscars. But <laughs> something very nerdy that me and my friends do is that we do a fantasy awards league. Kind of like how you do fantasy sports leagues. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, so like when awards come out, we get different points. Everybody has their team and whatever. And just and we get together at the end to watch the Oscars and we you know reveal who's the winner or whatever. Uh-huh. And... Uh, also, in, in order to prepare for the Oscars, uh, this year we decided to do a little poll of like everyone, if you were voting for the Oscars, what would you vote for? You know, and we like, they yeah. like, everybody voted. And what was very interesting is that, well, everything everywhere all at once kind of dominated uh, with us as well. It won, I think, even more awards that it probably will win at the Oscars. You know, like Stephanie Hsu won for Supporting Actress, which is something that is not expected to happen. Obviously, mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh and Kei Hook won. Right. But when it came to Best Picture and the preferential ballot, Everything Everywhere came in second. And um, and at our personal voting, yeah. the Fablemans won, so, which oh. I thought was very, very interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Because we do have a couple of Everything Everywhere haters in our group, so you ah. know, they ranked it pretty low, and it ended up, you know kind of influencing the vote so uh-huh. i'm wondering if that will happen at the academy if there <laughs> well, will be, the haters will like bring it down somehow <laughs> there was some talk of of top gun maverick being the preferential ballot winner but mm-hmm. the, pre- the producers guild award is preferential and everything and that still went won. everything everywhere yeah yeah um, so, yeah, I mean, it's but, unlikely. I think the biggest thing is that, is that I don't know what movie would be the one to take its spot, you know? I yeah. don't think the, the Fablements, even though it won with us, I don't know if it has the... It has kind of, like, um, went gone down in support in, in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. You know, people aren't really talking about it very much, so... Yeah, it's interesting because the last few years at the Oscars, really, there have been some, like, quirky indies that have, have done very well. I mean, you've got... You've got... Uh, Parasite being an underdog kind of, sure. you know, yeah, foreign, yeah, first yeah, for foreign sure. film and then Coda mm-hmm. being an indie favorite. And 
Uh, so then now there have know, been this... surprises in recent years yeah. for sure, um, yeah. especially in Best Picture. Um, you know, obviously there's the Moonlight La Land year, which is obviously the most, the biggest <laughs> example. But yeah, um, yeah. So I guess there is still room for some surprises. I mean, the people listening will know whether or not there was a surprise. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> we should. I'm still this. pulling. I'm hoping for Austin Butler. I think he deserves it. I think it was a great performance. For Best Actor. I think that's yeah. very likely as well. I mean, but there is competition. It's exciting. Oh, yeah. There's a lot no of comp- uh, categories that are a little bit up in the air. So, mm-hmm. um, Especially the BAFTA is really kind of put a monkey wrench in people's like perfect predictions because mm. they were so different than everything else. So yeah. anyway. But anyway, you listening know much better than we do <laughs> what actually happened and whether it was a fun yeah. show or a boring <laughs> show or whatever. But... Um, so let's pivot into what we usually talk about, huh? Yes. So we talk about what we've been watching, and we already kind of we already kind of have been talking about that. But, uh, but uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun for the for our cheap plug of our AFI Passions project to do for the patrons. I watched the movie Sunrise. Uh, oh, yeah. For and so that will have just posted uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday before um, the day before this post. And, uh, and so this is, that's one of the most acclaimed silent movies and mm-hmm. I can struggle a little bit, just my dyslexic tendencies a little bit with silent movies sometimes. Hmm. Uh, but this one I, I really thought was very good. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. That's a movie that I haven't seen since my film 101 class very, very long ago in, in yeah. college, first year of I'd college. I'd never seen it. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember it being really good, but I don't remember it too well because it's been long. But it will be playing, I think, in a movie in movie theater at one of the uh, New York rep houses in... Oh, in a... <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Next month. So I, I'm definitely going to try to catch that because I would love to see that in the big screen. Seeing silent movies oh, in the big screen cool. is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you ever come to visit... Uh, take you to this place here in, in Salt Lake called the Edison, uh, where mm. they have a old school silent movie organ that plays, yeah. uh, and it, so that's really cool. Yeah, that sounds really fun, and, and yeah. I think you've told me about this place before, and yeah. it does sound like a great place to watch a it's, movie for sure. It's really, it's really fun. So, what have you, what have you been watching? So, speaking of, uh, I went to the movie theater to see another. Um, kind of like re-release sort of situation, which was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which Uh is also now on the Criterion channel because of their Michelle Yeoh um, sort of collection retrospective that they have their section this month. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was one of the first movies that I saw as a kid that was like a new kind of important adult movie that, you know that my parents took me to because it was up for Oscars and whatever and they went to see it and they were like oh we actually think you would really enjoy this even though it's technically for you know adults I was probably like nine years old at the time Uh or something um and I absolutely loved it I was riveted by it I loved the martial arts I loved all the weapons that they use and this and the sword so I've always loved that movie um I know that a lot of people you know, who are really into Hong Kong and martial arts movies say that it is kind of like this, you know, made more for a Western audience than for a Chinese audience in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's made specifically to appeal. But I, what I I'm going to say, I'm, I'm a Westerner and it appealed to me. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it and I still love it. Um, watching it on the big screen was great, especially the sound, something that I had forgotten about of, of not watching it in a movie theater soundscape before. Or, or, you know, since the very first time. 
mm-hmm. was just how beautiful the score is and how loud it is and how propulsive it is. There's the scene where Michelle Yeoh and Zi Zhang's characters fight each other. It's like the the best fight in the movie because it's so intense in their emotions. You know why these characters are fighting even though they love each other, but um but they have to prove, you know, the the younger fighter needs to prove something, the older fighter is trying to to save the things that she needs to uphold and and you have this score that is like just like the drums are going doom, 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 and the sound effects of the weapons being smashing against each other it feels so violent without being necessarily bloody you know you just feel like the force with which these women are fighting and and the skill and and how those you really feel like those weapons could kill someone i don't know it was just so mm-hmm. visceral and and i really really love the experience that'd be a cool uh, experience to see on the big screen. I I famously am. Uh, it's one of my unpopular opinions. I don't love this movie, but um, but it would still be cool to see it on uh, on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to admire Ang Lee with just like the amount of diversity in his filmography is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to be director to have i mean everything from sense sensibility to hulk to uh, to uh yes, broke mountain Tiger, to life of pi yeah yeah there's yeah it's definitely pretty impressive uh, yeah for sure yeah i like um, that i mean i guess someone has... like ridley scott too like has a lot of varieties for his subject matter um and uh you gotta that's i i would think that that would I mean and there's one thing about like knowing your genre someone like a Nora Ephron or whatever and you know like you mm-hmm. know what you're good at but um but there's also something cool about these directors who seem to be able to do it all yeah I and what's Spielberg cool about Ang Lee is that he sort of you know especially watching this movie again um it reminded me of how much Crouching Tiger is really is like sense and sensibility but with sword fighting you know it's like <laughs> yeah. about this like two women who are kind of like in the sisterly motherly daughter relationship just yeah. like the sisters in sense and sensibility and you see that again in all in so many of his movies you know in eat drink man woman is a movie that he made early on that it's also uh-huh. kind of like there's always this family relationships are very strong in his movies i feel like it's a good point yeah i, I hadn't thought of that so You're despite right. all the different genres it all comes to even in hulk you know it's like the superhero <laughs> movie that's really about a dad and his son instead that's of true. like fighting <laughs> super villains you know that's true that's a good point uh, yeah. Well, today I'm very excited that we are talking about Afterlife from Hirokazu Kurida. And I feel, I can't believe it's taken us this long to finally talk about a Kurida movie because I feel like that was one of the first things we kind of bonded as friends over that we both really liked Kurida movies. I think so as well. I think that it was the movie, not this one, but we talked about the movie Still Walking, right? Is the one that uh-huh. I think was yeah. one of the first ones that we talked about that we really both enjoyed. And and, um, and that's a beautiful movie, of for sure. And then since then, there has been... Um, yeah, it, it, he has come up a lot in, in our conversations. And I think mm-hmm. I feel like you absolutely love him and you bring him up all the time. And whenever <laughs> there's a new movie that is coming out by him, you really do make a point of ha- of watching it. You know, I feel oh, like yeah. I haven't yeah. kept up with all of his movies because he does make a lot of movies. But um, yeah, so I haven't watched all of them that have well, come out. But it's really yeah. interesting because the last two movies that he did were not in um, in Japanese, which is kind right. of interesting. Right. He made uh, a movie, I think, in France, right? And then mm-hmm. one in South Korea, is it right? Yeah, yeah. The the most recent one called Broker, mm-hmm. uh, which was just in theaters uh, in um, January, I think. And mm-hmm. 
uh, was, yeah, was in Korean. So that was yeah. really interesting. Uh, and I liked it. It was, it was really good. He loves making movies about uh, uh, non-traditional families, families that you kind of make uh, rather than families you're born into. Yeah. Um, you know, Shoplifters is certainly another one like that. But he has another one called uh, Another Sister, which is uh, about a, uh, some women who, after their father dies, they find out that he had this other daughter and they kind of welcome mm-hmm. her into the family. Yeah. Uh, there's another one called A Wish, which is about these two boys who are uh, are uh, trying to uh, trying to get um, this wish to. They're trying. Uh, it's been a while since I saw it, but I'm trying <laughs> to remember. But anyway, it's about these two mm-hmm. little boys that go on this kind of journey. And the first movie of his that I ever saw is called Like Father, Like Son, which is about this yes. these two families who have a baby at the same time and their babies are switched at birth and mm-hmm. they and then they learn that a couple of years later and they are struggling with what should we do should we give them back and you know yeah. to their original parents or should we keep them you know so and yeah mm-hmm. much like Ang Lee he's really interested in families <laughs> yeah yeah and with afterlife I, I we're going to talk about what makes it a criterion in a little bit, but I it's think it's a little different though in terms of the family thing, right? The, it is a little agree? different as far as the the families, but uh, but it's also uh, I think a great example of the good that Criterion can do because this movie was out of print for a long time. You could not mm, find it. Yeah, I, I actually had it on VHS because that was the only way to to, watch to, movie, yeah. to buy it, yeah, to watch it and to buy it and. And so uh, when they announced it was coming to the Criterion Collection, I was really excited because n- because that that's just the best that Criterion can do is when they literally not only introduce a movie to new people, but l- literally like resurrect a movie that had been l- practically lost. Yeah, so. although there is something cool about watching this movie in VHS since the movie <laughs> shows so much like oh, yeah, that's VHS true. tapes in it, so that kind of gives it like something <laughs> special about that. But <laughs> um, no, but it's great that you know all movies really should be restored and, and kept for posterity because they are part of like you know history in, in you yeah. know and, and the history of movies, but also the history of the world. Yeah, especially a good movie like this. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this movie, what it is? Yeah. So this movie, it's called Afterlife, and it takes place in the afterlife. Um, we, It's this sort of, um, what would I call that? It's like some sort of school-looking building. It's a building that looks like a, like a school or like a, some sort of bureaucratic office building yeah. where where a bunch of people are working there because when you die, you, you go to this place where... You have three days. You're going to spend the whole week in this place. And in the first three days, you need to think about and choose one memory that to... It's just one memory to signify your whole life. Or the, like the one memory that, that feels to you like it encapsulates your life or is your most treasured memory. Or or I guess it's left a little bit up to the interpretation of how what exactly you want to choose or for and for what reasons. But it's you can only get to choose one memory. And then these folks will recreate the memory for you, you know, after three, on Wednesday, you say you come on Monday and the movie is, is one of those movies that has like title cards that say Monday, Tuesday, you know, as it goes along. On Wednesday, you have to pick, then for the rest of the, the next couple of days, the, the crew that works there will recreate your memory, not in a like magical 
kind of way of like they pull it out of your brain or something, but rather they have to do it as if it were a movie. They shoot, yeah, literally casting you know, and everything. They do casting and they like create like the sets and and then they they film the movie. You basically you get to be the director of the one of your most precious memory, right? You are the the people who have the memory are usually present there and they they witness their memory not only being filmed but also being acted in front of them. And then at the end they do a screening of the of the memories, and that's basically the 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 setup of the movie. With the with the caveat that there's also you know we also follow the people who who um, create the memories who work there and the reason why they work there is because they they couldn't pick a memory of themselves and so uh, there is one of the characters that we follow who we saw go on the journey of one of them finally realizing what the memory would be for them and being able to move on you know yeah so um yeah so that's basically it right i think that i think that covers it well and i have to say i am a sucker for this kind of setup for some reason i i don't really even maybe because i am a spiritual person i don't know but i i i love the play our town it's one of my favorites uh and in that one she you know has a chance to pick any memory and she picks something she thinks will be so innocuous this birthday party i forget what age it's like 12 something like that anyway um and she realizes how much was missed how many important things that people didn't even pay attention to it's it's really beautiful and uh, i love that i love defending your life albert brooks uh yeah with meryl streep yeah it's very similar to this in a lot of ways but more of a comedy yeah different Uh, tone but similar setup yeah because they he has to defend his life and if he can't in court then he has to go back and try again and you know there's some people who've done this many many times and there's like there's a movie theater uh, there where you can go and watch your previous lives and what mm-hmm, you've mm-hmm. experienced and and depending on how good your life was it depends on what kind of accommodations and food and stuff you get <laughs> right and <laughs> he's then, in, yeah yeah he's in the like you know sort of like the lower end yeah Yeah, 70s kind of looking uh cheap uh hotel and and meryl streep like saved a child from a burning building or something and so she's in the like plush yeah Yeah, it's a very funny movie i Um, love it so much i and i it's just a i don't uh, i don't know why i just always it always seems to be is it leaves you thinking and that's one that's the real like I think neat thing about this movie is that you can't watch it and not think about, okay, what memory would I pick? Mm-hmm. That is definitely true. Um, yeah. So I have to say a couple of things, actually. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, I do think that I am a little bit on the opposite spectrum of you in general, in terms of movies about the afterlife don't tend to be my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy, for example, defending your life um, and I and I do love Our Town, the play, although that um, feels a little bit different from this type of movie to me. I don't know why we could like get into that maybe some other time. But um, but there is something about the afterlife thing that I can appreciate it. But it but I feel like I don't know. There's just something that it's, it's just not my genre, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so in this movie, 
Um, okay, first of all, <laughs> so it was funny because I also had a pretty crazy and busy and stressful week. So I totally uh-huh. forgot the other day that we we were recording the, today and I had to watch this movie until I saw that Rachel had logged in on Letterboxd. And then I was like, oh, God, I, for- I totally forgot I should watch this movie right now. Uh-huh. Um and then I was reminded, because not only did I see Rachel's log, but I saw that she had liked a review that I had published previously when I first watched this movie in, um, when was it? I want to say, um, I'm going to try to, I think it was in 2018 or something. Um, and I read the review and I, and it made me realize I do not remember anything about this movie. And I was like, what am I talking about? I have no, absolutely no sense of what I'm saying or like, why would I say this? Like, I, I very... I had very fake, faint memories of the movie. I remember the VHS pl- tapes played a role uh-huh. and the, kind of the basic conceit. Um, but the review from back then was very positive. I really liked it. And I have to say, I don't know if it's because of the week that I had or whatever, but this time around, the movie didn't really work very much for me. Um, I thought that it was, as usual, very beautifully shot, like most creative movies are. It was, um, you know, very evocative um, in the cinematography, in the, you know, in, in what it's trying to say about life and about death. I thought that I didn't get so much out of it. I almost feel, um, you probably disagree with me, Rachel, but even based on what you're saying, I do agree that I feel like the setup of the movie is more interesting to me than the movie itself. You know, like the idea of what memory would you choose? I think that's kind of interesting and provocative, but then the movie doesn't really add too much to that question for me. Like maybe leaves a little too much open. Mm-hmm. She just just shows like a couple different ways it could go. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately the most interesting thing is happening in my head as I wonder what memory would I pick, you know? So well, I don't know. Um, that, when- I kind of struggled. One interesting thing about the movie is that he combined, uh, he he interviewed, I think, over like 500 people to uh, find out what their memories would be. Mm-hmm. And then he he mixed together real people sharing their stories with actors portraying, you know, the characters. And uh, so I think that that's, that's really adds a, it almost has the feel of a documentary uh, through throughout the the movie uh it has kind of that aesthetic and i guess according to i'd listened to the audio commentary and she was really good uh this lady i wish we could have had her on the podcast but uh she uh, she's written a whole book on corita and she was very informative and very interesting and uh and she said that i guess he had just filmed the documentary just the year before he did this which is kind of interesting i thought oh so uh, he had filmed the documentary and he decided to turn it into a movie yeah i don't know if it was exactly the same topic or the same thing but definitely in like aesthetic and in maybe in some of the thought process uh i haven't seen that documentary so i don't i don't know but i thought that was interesting as she said that yeah we should and, say that the name of this woman is linda c Ehrlich. just you know yeah. to, to she wrote make a sure book she gets called due. yeah yes yeah yeah the films of corida her kazu and an elemental cinema is the name of her book an elemental uh, cinema sounds right for corida from what mm-hmm. i you know i have seen of him he's very uh he's not a very flashy director you know in a in a good way because he's mm-hmm. talking about you know down to earth stories families, small moments, you know, this whole thing about the memories makes a lot of sense that he would be interested in that because his movies are made up of moments like that 
you know, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, they, yeah. Yeah. She said that even some of the actors used their own memories within mm. the, within the thing, within the, the, the interviews. And, uh, and I thought she made a good point where she said that, uh, Corey Dutt never judges his characters. And that's even no. true for something like shoplifters or, or broker, um, that yeah. he, he, he just says, this is who this character is. You don't get that feeling of judgment. Yeah. He's definitely incredibly generous to the character. And, and this feels mm-hmm. like a very generous film, especially with that backstory, right. Of getting real people, even the cast and crew getting in there, te- telling their own stories, putting them mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's weird because it feels to me like that's kind of what makes the movie special. And at the same time, that's kind of like maybe why the movie doesn't work for me as much. Just the idea of like, you know, people have s- s- memories and stories and they're to the point of the movie. They're just everyday memories. You know, they're just simple memories, everyday memories, mm-hmm. stuff that, of everyday life that doesn't feel when I watch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice memories like the ones that I might have picked, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the emotion of, of thinking of my own memory is, yeah. is stronger than think, than anyone else's memory. So it's kind of strange. It's like when someone yeah. tells you their dream and it's always a little bit interesting, but also a little bit like not that interesting because it wasn't your dream, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's true. Well, so the main plot is that you have this guy, Takeshi, who has been assigned this older man, and Watanabe, and he he finds out he in his memories there's he had this arranged Watanabe had this arranged bride and it turns out that this it was actually Takashi's uh fiance uh mm-hmm. he died in war um and in in World War II he died and he hasn't been able to come up with a memory uh and he feels like oh nobody nobody remembered it my life didn't matter and uh, but then this he sees his fiance and uh, he was kind of devastated by that. Um, and that uh, they had kind of this loveless, passionless marriage. And there's a point where he says, wasn't passionless marriage common in your generation uh, that they ask. And he, he ends up watching all of these clips of Watanabe's life. And he asked to be reassigned because like, how can I do this? And, but then he finds out that uh, that uh, the fiance chose a memory with him uh, for her memory, and uh, so she realize he realizes that he he uh, he didn't matter, and uh, um, and he says, "I have learned that I was part of someone else's happiness." Uh, so that's a beautiful moment, and. And then, so then he picks that moment of him realizing he was part of someone else's happiness as his memory. Um, and, uh, and so that's why he's able to, uh, mm-hmm. to move forward. Yeah. I have a couple of questions for you, um, mm-hmm. about the movie setup. Um, well, not for the first ones, I guess is not a question, but it's just, I find it very interesting. The, the sort of rules that he gives to this world, to this afterlife world, because, mm-hmm. You, when you were talking about this Watanabe thing, when they he can't pick a memory, they're like, okay, we're going to give you all these tapes with all your memories so that you can pick mm-hmm. one, you know, so that you can watch them again. So that that idea that they have all the memories on tape, but for this special one, they're going to recreate it, I, fi- I fi- find very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it, there's something there that appeals, 
um I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it speaks to me as a person who loves movies to talk about yeah. like, the, the importance of recreating it, of like, because then it's not about how the memory actually was, but how you remember it that makes becomes more important, you know, because yeah. the tape would be more objective, but it's really about how you felt in that moment more than anything else, which mm -hmm. I think it does is it, yeah. a strong point. The middle of the movie is really just the machinations of getting these little movies made is is uh, them filming and, and all of the stuff. And it is interesting when you think about that every single person that's making these movies has is there because they haven't picked a memory. And then you have it ending with Shiori, who is is now a full, like a full counselor, and she's practicing to get ready. Um, and, uh, and so you have her character, who's obviously kind of in love with Takeshi. And... Uh, and her, you know, it just adds this like layer of, okay, wow, I wonder what happened with her life that she didn't pick a memory. It's interesting too, what is he trying to say with like certain memories? Because he doesn't judge the characters, but you definitely get the feeling that like the person picking Splash Mountain is kind of not Yeah, as that was a little easy, I thought though. Like, of <laughs> course, don't pick Splash Mountain. Come on. Of course, you've got to pick the memory with your mom and with the <laughs> sitting on her lap, you know, whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the moments where I was a little bit like, oh, come on, guys, you know, but um, yeah, <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, so the question that I do have for you is like, what do you make? Because this movie really made me think about this and wonder, what do you make of this idea? Because at this point, it is a whole genre, something that it's almost like a trope that the mm -hmm. afterlife includes this like very bureaucratic office like situation. You know, like there's been yeah. so many movies and so many depictions of the afterlife where it is all about like paperwork and offices and stuff like that. And I find yeah. that a little bit, he not a little bit, I find it greatly depressing. You know, like I would hate <laughs> to die. I mean, at first I would be happy that there is an afterlife and then mm -hmm. I would be like, what? But it's an office and there's waiting <laughs> around. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's I, some other ones. There's uh, Nine Days, which was, I thought, really really good that was a 2020 sundance movie uh but then there's also a uh, soul from from pixar which i think yeah. was i had my issues with but overall i thought mm -hmm. you know it was, and of was course an the movies film. we mentioned like defending your life and then there's the matter of life and death have you seen that movie that's also oh. it's like a powell um pressburger movie um oh i don't think i've seen that one. oh i think you would love that movie yeah actually, Rachel. yeah for sure that sounds good um, Sounds good. Yeah, it's interesting. I took uh, a number of uh, of Asian studies, Chinese Chinese politics, Japanese politics classes in college, and uh, one of the things we talked about is that in Japan they're more of a group oriented culture than in the United States. Like the United States is is traditionally at least kind of known for being individualistic like setting out of your own and being a frontier and a maverick you know that kind of thing is is prized and valued and you see that in our art you know it's sort of more like uh Top more rebellious maverick, more <laughs> yeah, yeah um whereas like in japan it's it's more like people tend to at least this is what we talked about in our class people tend to like be really loyal to a particular business a particular company um and even in like their arts uh like for instance the suzuki method you know is a like program it's not like this sort of creativity 
uh, way of expression. It's more of like, here's the method and here you do it and, and, and everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure they have lots of creativity. I, these are generalizations. But but it, it is kind of interesting that they, they get to this uh, afterlife and it's it's very corporate it feels very corporate you know but in a and yeah well (laughs) i think i would say more professional than corporate because it it does feel like a small business kind of thing right or like a yeah yeah or maybe like a government sort of thing you know like um yeah it's um yeah i I suppose like like, what 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 draws so many people to to think of the afterlife in that is it just because it's what we know in real life or um Maybe because there's, like, this idea of, like, people needing to be processed in some way, you know? Like, that we we kind of have a need to, like, there has to be some order to it in our brains. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, that makes me think also of the, the... This is also movies that are about the transition from life into afterlife, right? It's mm-hmm. not really... It's, it's kind of like... So that feels very much like the... Like what you're saying, like the process or the journey from one to the other, kind of adjusting to the change. Um, and there was mm-hmm. another thought that I just had yeah. from what you said, and I forgot. That's true, because we don't really actually know what happens to the the people after they get their tape and you know move on. Like we don't we don't really know, and uh, and <clears throat> so you know it's a. It's it's interesting that it is kind of this in between spot, and I mean, I guess in traditional Christianity, you have like the 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 day of judgment that you know for people who are they are they going to go to you know heaven or hell, depending on what you believe, and uh, and so maybe that's where some of this comes to is that sort of that there has to be some sort of processing of like the good people and the bad people. There's also something about. Um, I don't know, thinking of what I know about Japanese history and Japanese culture and, you know, the the emperor and the, and that kind of like hierarchical society. And, and you see it also, in, in I think, in the other authors from other countries that, that choose to depict the afterlife in this way. Something about everybody, no matter who you were in life, you will have to, you know, take your number and do the queue when you go to the yeah. afterlife. You know, everyone is the same at that point. You, you all true. go through the same process. And I think there's something about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and I think there is something lovely about a movie that gets you to, to ask questions and think about your life. You know, like we don't need that in all movies. You can just go and just have fun. But there is something valuable about uh, uh, movies that give you that thought bubble of like, oh, I wonder what I would do in that situation or what I would pick. And I mean, did you have, have something that you thought, okay, this is what I would do. Like what, what memory, what, memory, would pick? what your memory would be. Um, I think I do have something, but I am going to very annoyingly to everyone listening and to you, Rachel, I'm going to play the Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan card when they're all sharing the memories. And then Tom Hanks says that, no, that memory is just for me. And that kind <laughs> of thing, I'm not wanting to share it. So, <laughs> so I'm going to be a little bit rude and say that. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know what I, I don't know what I would pick. I, it's, it's an interesting question but one that i don't know if i really have a uh, a great answer to uh i i mean maybe when i 
when I found out that I had gotten into the college that I wanted to go to, when I got the letter opening it up and it just, I was just literally screaming because I did not think I would get in because my ACT scores weren't that good. So I was really worried. And, uh, and so then when I did, I just, I was so excited. So that maybe, maybe that moment, cause my whole family was there and, and I, I went into a separate room cause I was afraid that if I didn't get in, I would like be crying and you know, I didn't mm. want to see that. And, um, yeah. that's, that's up a there. great moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's up there for me. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, I but mean, also almost... who knows, maybe the moment it, it hasn't happened yet. It's in your yeah, future, that's which true. could be exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any, pretty much almost any moment with my grandfather, I could pick. I, I just had a, he was just the best, the best person I've ever met, known in my life. And, uh, and I still, even though he passed away in 2001, I still have a hard time talking about it. I still miss him every day. Uh, he was really special. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think that that does, uh, make, you know, this movie special and seeing all the different memories. And I think that the, the, the man who plays, uh, Takeshi, I think he does a really good job in the role. Um, uh, Arata Lura is his name. I think he gives a really understated sweet performance. I think the whole cast is pretty good. I mean, everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I obviously I don't speak Japanese, so that who knows about that part of it. But I do think that everyone feels of a piece and even, you know, especially the fact that you have a mix of actors and, and non-professionals who are telling their own stories and things like that. So that's yeah, I think that blends mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about our questions. So we have, why does this uh, Criterion release, and I kind of already talked about, why is this on the Criterion channel? And I already talked about, I think it shows the best of what Criterion can do by bringing movies back from the dead and uh, and giving them, not only do they have the movie, but they have the audio commentary, they have the deleted scenes, they have uh, just incredible special features, and that is when Criterion says best. Yeah, and that's something I have to say, that's something that Criterion has been kind of like a little bit... Uh lacking in in some of their newer releases like you know sometimes there's barely a commentary maybe a couple interviews and not much else um so it was nice to see especially to hear from you that the commentary for this movie not only that there was one but that was actually really great Mm -hmm. um because the criterion commentaries tend to be really really great um Mm -hmm. so um yeah that's something that i definitely want them to keep up with because um I think that's kind of part of why they became, uh, you know, this kind of like revered company in the first place is because you could, I mean, I remember listening to the Roger Ebert Citizen Kane commentary and that was huge for me, you know, especially because yeah. you hear about Citizen Kane being this like the big, the best movie of all time back then, you know, and then you watch it and as a kid and you're maybe like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And then you listen to Roger Ebert and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like I see how every choice here is so important and whatever so that was hugely um educational for me and i'm sure there will be people who maybe uh who pick up afterlife and then listen to the commentary and you know get something really special out of it as well Mm -hmm. so um that's cool but that that really isn't our question our question is like why what makes this a criterion film right Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think well koreeda is a uh big director you know he's he's uh one of the most famous and most respected 
Japanese directors around, especially in live action for cinema. He's won、mm-hmm. a lot of awards. At, he's won the Palme d'Or at Cannes and for Shoplifters, and, and he's made a lot of movies that people love. And this movie,、um, people, a lot of people really, really love this movie. And I really, I mean, case in point, you, but also <laughs> I've seen, like, you、mm-hmm. know, so many people on Letterboxd talk about how much they love this movie. And the fact that it was not available in HD for such a long time also makes it, like, like you were saying, such a, such a, it feels、mm-hmm. kind of like, Necessary almost that it was like, oh, yeah, finally, this movie is available, you know? Yeah, and I feel like Corda is well known at places like Cannes, like you say, but I feel like he's not somebody who has the name rec- recognition that he deserves, in my opinion. I I feel like, as maybe that's why I, you know, really try to promote whenever I hear any of his movies are coming out, because I don't know, I just feel like he deserves. A hive like Bon Joon Ho has, you know, or, or some of these other international directors that、uh, that people people love because I know he's just so、mm-hmm. solid. Part of it is also the kind of movie that he makes, right? He's he Bon Joon Ho, I mean, as great as he is, he's also always making these big, flashy movies, right? You know,、yeah. very exciting with a lot of twists and turns that, that get, you know, and also, and, and it did take him a long time to break through as much as he did, right? Like, Parasite is, is a huge achievement in terms of how many people it reached and winning the Oscar and, and all of that.、Yeah. But, oh, and he's amazing. He totally deserves it. Yeah, I but just, it, it took him a long time to get yeah. there, too. Yeah. That's true. That's true.、Uh, so,、uh, and I think that the fact that it feels, like I said, feels like a, a documentary,、uh, that it's, it's kind of a unique、um, entry in this. In the, we've talked about all these movies that are these afterlife movies. I think it's kind of a unique one,、uh, but、um, is, is maybe a reason you know, to kind of, kind of preserve it.、Uh, but where do you fall on the pretentiousness scale? So, that was interesting. Uh, because I think that if we think of pretentiousness as I think you、uh, often do in terms of accessibility and how hard it is to follow the movie, get into it, click with the story, this is very, very unpretentious. I think it, the, the setup is so clear and so recognizable to anyone that you, I think it's very easy to access what the movie is trying to do in that sense.、Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the idea of the afterlife, we all wonder about what that would be like. And then they present you with this prompt of like, you have to present one memory, and you're already thinking, oh, what would I pick? What is this person picking? What is this person? You know, so it's, I think in that way, it's very easy to fall into the movie's、uh, vibes. Uh, but if we're thinking about what, when a movie trying to be profound or say something important in terms of pretentiousness, which I also kind of, I feel like for me it's a mix of the two. And in that sense, obviously, this movie is trying to talk about life and death and memory and all these big themes, you know? So that to me brings a little bit of pretentiousness. E- even if it's earned pretentiousness, I do think that it's there.、Mm-hmm. So because of those two things, I kind of go right in the middle. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to edge a little bit towards pretension with the six instead of a、mm-hmm. five, but that's kind of where I go. What do you think? I'd give it, I gave it a seven because it doesn't have very much plot. And I feel like if, if a, that, that to me is a big sort of part of what I, what I factor into pretension because、uh, if you have to work real hard to kind of there, to make a plot of a story, you know, if it's, and it, but it is simple as far as the characters and the idea. But I also think a movie that's really asking the big, The big ideas, the big memories,、uh, that, that that is also just a little bit pretentious by、uh, its very nature, but it also 
is is approachable as you say so i i gave it a seven uh yeah i think we're kind of close very close clearly yeah six and seven there yeah um so i i was thinking about if we were going to do a remake (laughs) um i the, the the thing if you were going to do an english remake uh, and you weren't going to have Corey to do it, which you could do. Uh, I think you got to go with Charlie Kaufman. It oh, wow. It seems like the <laughs> that would be obvious very choice. <laughs> we a much to... more pessimistic vision, I think. It would Maybe be more a little more defending your life <laughs> type comedy. <laughs> but I, I, I just feel like with Animal Lisa and uh, Adaptation, and I don't know, that he asks the same kind of questions that this movie asks, and I think that he would... Uh, the um, the end of the world one, I forget, uh, the one with Jesse Buckley. Um, so I don't know. He seems like the obvious choice to me. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought of it, but I, it makes sense. I guess maybe because I think of him as so, so, you know, when you said that Corita doesn't judge his characters and he loves them all and he's very generous and Charlie Kaufman, as much as I enjoy That's his true. movies, he doesn't strike me like that kind of person. <laughs> he does. He does seem kind of like a little more judgmental of certain characters in a in a fun way and in an interesting way as well. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> so it would be interesting to see what he makes out of this because it would be very, very different, and perhaps it would be something that speaks to me more than than this movie did. I don't know. Um, but what I thought of was the the fact that. This movie, like we were talking about, and as much of as little or as limited as my knowledge about Japan is, this movie felt very Japanese to me in a way. I mean, obviously, every character in the movie is Japanese. Their memories mm-hmm. are, you know, hint at Japanese history and Japanese mm-hmm. uh, values and things like that. So I was wondering about what it would be like to, because I did wonder about this watching the movie. Oh, so this is like an afterlife heaven, but this is like the Japanese sent like office, you know, like it feels because there's, there must be an office for other parts of the world, right? So I think like an international version of like where you see different people from different cultures and different countries and what kind of, like just the idea of comparing what kinds of memories people are thinking about in different places is is there a difference is it is it just mm-hmm. what repeats and what doesn't so so in that sense that would be interesting um what you were saying about the documentary element of the interviews made me think that the person to do this if you were to have an american person do it because obviously it could be it could be many different directors from many different parts of the world collaborating but the american person that i think would do a great job with this is director mike mills who made the movie uh, 20th century women and beginners, but most importantly, he made a movie called Come On, Come On a couple of years with Joaquin Phoenix in which oh, a, yeah. a big part of the movie is that they go around interviewing kids and asking them True. about the future. So I think that the interview part of it, you know, he already has shown that he he has interest in that and he can do something with that. And he, he feels to me like he's... He is the closest i think or one of the closest people working now that i feel like has a bit of a Korea sensibility who's working in america or is american because his movies do have a lot of those like small moments and small memories and that i feel like kind of make me feel the same way about this movie so um mm-hmm. so that yeah that's my pick i don't know how you feel about him and his movies i feel like you like them and maybe don't love them as much as i do oh no i well i haven't seen uh i actually haven't seen um 
the one the century woman oh, yeah. one i i haven't seen it i need to mm-hmm. uh but i have seen beginners and i love that mm-hmm. and i uh, i loved come on, come on. that uh, i saw at the new york film festival oh and yeah so I that's got right to, yeah and so i got to uh hear him talk about it and mm-hmm. the making of the movie and everything and so that was very neat and it was a, a really warm-hearted sweet movie I yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's a good that's a good call. Yeah, that would be good. So there we go, Hollywood. You have your remakes. <laughs> Ready to go. <laughs> uh, so let us know what you think uh, of this movie. Uh, if you've gotten a chance to see it, if you've watched the audio commentary, we'd love to hear your thoughts in, on Twitter at Criterion Pod. And Conrado, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at CocoHitsNY. And actually, well, not when you list when this episode comes out, but that this same week as you're listening this, I think either on the 16th or the 17th, so Thursday or Friday, the movie you can see me in a movie, uh, mm-hmm. the movie Cram, which is a horror movie directed by former guest of the show Avi Seidel, my good friend, and also produced by former guest of the show Trevor Wallace, and in which I appear in a supporting role performance that has been very critically acclaimed. You can watch that. Um, you can rent it in, in old platforms that where you can rent movies, and you can also watch it for free with ads on Tubi. So if you uh, want to check that out, I uh, I have a you know a couple creepy moments in this in this surreal horror movie. It's only it's also a movie that's under an hour long. So you know for people who like love short movies, um, this is the one. Cool. Very good. Yeah, we'll have all the information in the description. You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. If you want to check out all my South by Southwest coverage, uh, that'll also be at rotoscopers.com. Uh, I'm going for to represent their website, so that'll be fun. And uh, also, you check out the Hallmarkies podcast, because there's a lot of fun stuff going on over there. So there we go thanks so much and uh hope y'all are making lots of great memories <laughs> yeah no wait we need to talk about what we're doing next time. oh yeah 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 forgot i'm sorry forgot before uh yeah we log so off. yes before we log off, what are we talking about next time so next time we're going to be talking about the movie grand illusion i i catch, caught up with the last best picture nominee i hadn't seen all quiet on the western front which is about world war one um, mm-hmm. Didn't really care for it very much, but it made me think of this movie, Grand Illusion by Jean Renoir, which came out in the late 30s. It is a French movie, and it was the first foreign, like, yeah, it was the first foreign movie to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, which I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is also about World War One, and it's supposed to be a really great movie, which I've never seen, so I'm excited. Cool. I never heard of it until you mentioned it, so I'm excited to, to, to check it out. So there we go. That is what we're going to talk about next time. So let us know what you think of all the things we talked about. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, thanks so much, everybody. Bye. Bye.